You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us turn this afternoon to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. Our text is the verses 5 to 11, but I would like to read from verse 1. We'll read to the end of verse 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, you may have noticed that in our modern, increasingly godless society, there is a problem with today's feast day. No one knows what exactly to call it anymore. Can we still call it Christmas? And are we allowed still to say Merry Christmas? The politically correct say, no, you should avoid that religious word and simply speak of season's greetings or Happy Holidays. Quite simply, all mention of God or of Christ is to be avoided for fear of offending someone or other. And do you know what? Business is listening. Just go into a card shop in Willowbrook Mall and see how many words like Christ and Christmas are vanishing. And the media is listening too. Less and less reference is made to both the religious origin and the nature of this festive time of year. And as for the public, it is merrily going along with the trend. For many, Christmas has much more to do with family and parties and presents than it has to do with Christ. 
And the result, beloved, is that slowly but surely we are witnessing the advance of secularism today. Do not be surprised to see the campaign to remove Christ from Christmas heat up in the coming years. Some experts, so-called, even predict that we are headed toward a Christless Christmas. If you can imagine that. But then, beloved, if the world has trouble with this feast day because it is too religious, we Christians have some trouble with it as well. And then it's not the trouble of controversial names or of political correctness. No, our trouble, you might say, is of a different kind, even a happy kind. It's the trouble of far too many names. Some of us would say that today represents the Feast of Salvation. After all, did the angel not tell Joseph to call the baby Jesus because he would save his people from their sins? And so they say this should be the feast of Jesus and his salvation. Others, on the other hand, would prefer to call this the feast of the firstborn. After all, does Luke 2 verse 7 not say that this special child was Mary's firstborn, so... Why not name it after that? And then there are those who would like to call this the Feast of Great Joy. They choose that name because the angels tell the shepherds that they have come to bring them good news of a great joy. Or perhaps some of you, after hearing all of those Advent sermons on David, would prefer to call it the Feast of David's greatest son. And that too has ample support as we see, for example, David is mentioned a number of times here in Luke 2. So shall we name it after him? You see, beloved, there are so many choices, so many possibilities, and, and that's not a bad thing. It reminds us how rich and full and varied this particular day in the Christian calendar really is. Read the Gospels, and no doubt you can come up with more possibilities in terms of titles and names. Yes, beloved, and the letters of the New Testament do the same. There you can find even more names, more descriptions. Yes, and I, indeed, this afternoon I would propose to you that we we turn to one of those descriptions as you find it in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We've read together from the second chapter. And we're especially going to look at the verses 5 to 11. And what do we see there? Another name for today's feast. So I preach to you on the following theme, Christmas, the feast of the emptying Christ. And we'll see that our text reveals the Son's voluntary demotion, the Father's great promotion, and the believer's daily devotion. Well, beloved, on the surface, the time and the events of this special day are soon told. Luke reminds us it all happened during the time of the great Caesar 
Augustus, that he ordered that a census be taken of all of the known world, and this census in turn turns the world of those days upside down. Also the eastern part. Far, far away it forces a man named Joseph and his betrothed Mary to travel from Galilee in the north to Bethlehem toward the south. And once there, they find it impossible to rent a room and they have to make do with a shed or many think it was a cave as a temporary dwelling. Yes, and it is there of all places that their baby is born. Their very special baby is born. And he's laid in a manger, in an animal feeding trough. And meanwhile, beloved, in the fields nearby, shepherds are minding their business as well as their sheep when suddenly an angel appears to them and glory envelops them and they're terrified. But then the angel speaks and he comforts them and he he tells them that a Savior has been born to them and that they will find this Savior lying in a manger. And no sooner has that strange announcement been made and a heavenly choir begins to sing glory to God in the highest. Obviously, Something very special has happened on earth. At last, the promise of the Messiah is being fulfilled. Finally, Israel is going to receive her great and eternal king. The desire of the ages is here. But, oh, beloved, how unexpectedly he has come. Who would have thought that he would have come as a baby, or that he would be laid of all places in a manger, or that he would be born in such humble circumstances, a much grander, glorious, and more fitting appearance on the world stage was expected. But really, you know, that's only the half of it, or maybe not even that. But the surprise is not so much in the Messiah coming as a baby and being born in in poverty. No, beloved, the surprise goes deeper, much, much deeper than that. For turn to the Apostle Paul and what he writes to the Philippian Christians. And what do you hear? What you hear is that what happens at Bethlehem is beyond all expectation and comprehension. The Messiah comes. But really, it is a case of God coming down. Paul writes, who being in very nature God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Here the Apostle Paul says very clearly that Jesus existed already before he was born. Imagine that. And here the Apostle Paul says even more that Jesus existed as God before he was born. Now imagine that. 
He was in very nature or form, Paul says, God. And that means that he possesses all the prerogatives of divinity. Divine names, God, Lord, Son of God, Messiah. Divine qualities, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible, unchangeable. Divine powers over creation, providence, election. Divine honors of praise and worship and glory. He had it all. It was all his to enjoy, to revel in. But in the midst of having it all and of being it all, something happened. Something absolutely stunning happened. Paul writes that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Now what does that mean? It means that he did not hang on to it for dear life or at all costs. You know, that's something that many of you, you children do. Especially around this time of year when you may receive a new toy. When you get that new toy, you clutch it to your chest. You don't want to share it with anyone. It's it's yours totally and completely yours. You hang on to it with both hands. No one else is allowed to touch it or even get near it. And all sharing and all letting go is out of the picture. Well, so it might have been with Christ Jesus too. Only it was not. This was absolutely not the case. There was no, as it were, selfish clutching with him. No holding on to this divinity and its meaning, no matter what. As a matter of fact, the very opposite happened. Paul writes that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Many of the translations say that he he emptied himself. That's also where our theme comes from, the emptying Christ. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that that Christ took his divinity and put it aside? Does it mean that he ceased to be God when he came to earth? Does it mean that he shoved aside all of his divine qualities and powers? No, it doesn't mean that. Rather, it means that he voluntarily gave up all of his rights to heavenly power and majesty, and presence. He emptied himself in the sense of putting aside all of his unimaginable glory. He really did make himself nothing or of no account. 
He humbled himself. And you know, the Apostle Paul even adds to this astounding idea by saying that, that he took the very nature of a servant. Can you imagine that God as a servant? It's just so contradictory. It, God is to be worshipped and adored. God is to be served. God is not there to serve. And yet Paul says Christ came to serve. And even more than that, Paul says he came to serve as a man. Paul adds being made in, in human likeness. You start to get the picture? God as, as nothing. God as a servant. God as man. How can this be? Well, here you have the true wonder of Christmas. At bottom, this is not a feast about family. As important as family may be and as many people as may think it, Christmas is not special because then you get to have lots of family get-togethers and you allow bygones to be bygones and you get rid of old grudges and you start all over anew. Or else Christmas either, and even though that may be closer to the mark, Christmas isn't simply about the birth of a very special baby. Now, beloved, the truth of God is much fuller than that. For more than anything else, this feast is about God coming down to earth as man, as servant, as a no account. Christmas is the feast of the incarnation. God becoming man, coming down to us, coming for us, coming and being like us. Isn't that a most wondrous thing? And yet, as mind-boggling as that may be, that's not the end of the story. For why did God become like us? He became like us in order to die for us. Paul writes, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, I know this is Christmas time, a time of goodwill and great joy. So why spoil it by mentioning such things as, as death and, and even worse, a cross? My beloved, the Apostle Paul does so and we need to do so too. Because here's where the basis for all goodwill and all true joy and peace lies. You know, the world does a lot of talking these days about peace and joy and happiness, but it's all of the superficial variety because real joy, lasting peace, eternal goodwill... 
They flow from a restored relationship with Almighty God. They're not simply a product of human advertising or wishful thinking. Now this is what Christ came to accomplish. His mission was to save His people from their sins and that means death and that means a cross. Christmas is the feast of the incarnation. But then of an incarnation that climaxes in a despised cross. That's where it ends. Where does it really? Is a humble, despised, cross-filled incarnation and emotion, is that the end of the storm? Does Christmas really end at a cross? Is that it? Is that all? Well, thankfully not, beloved, for from the work of God the Son, and you can see that in our text, from the work of God the Son, the Apostle Paul now proceeds to the work of God the Father. And and what does the Father do? Well, read verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. You see, the Father takes his Son from the depths, and He raises Him to the heights. He takes Him from humiliation to exaltation. The Father brings the Son back into glory. And you may know that during His ministry on earth, the Lord Jesus used to say things like, for whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. As well as, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Little did his audience realize that he himself would go the same way that he was teaching others to go. From losing to saving, from humility to exaltation. But then, beloved, if the Father exalted him, the Father also named him. Paul writes that he gave him the name that is above every name. In other words, the Father gave him something to act, not just as a label for him to carry, but but something that describes his unique and marvelous character and status. He receives a title that sets him apart. He receives a designation that outranks all others. He receives a name that coincides with his very nature. And what is that title, that designation or name? It is Lord. And Lord means sovereign over the entire universe. King over all creation, now and forever. Ruler supreme. 
So what is Christmas really all about? It's about the coming of God to earth as man. It's about the coming of a most unusual servant. It's about the coming of that humble servant who dies on a cross. But in the end, it's about the coming of the God-man who is raised to the heights. As Peter puts it so succinctly and so well on Pentecost Day, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And what is the result of that? It's worship and confession. Paul again in our text says this is where it's all headed. Indeed, he says the entire world is headed in this direction. One day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth. To bow the knee, that's a sign of submission, of respect, of obeisance. It comes from Isaiah 45 where the sole sovereignty of God over the universe is emphasized. And so it will be. Every knee, everywhere, will bow. You know, in Paul's time, people believed that they lived in a three-storied universe. That's why they talked about heaven and they talked about earth, and they talked about under the earth. Angels above, people on earth, the demons below. Interestingly enough, today, people look at the universe as, has, as if it has no stories whatsoever. It's just all about us here on earth. That's the end of it, and that's all. But you know, that's not true. There is more to life, and there is more to creation. And one day we shall see it. For every knee will bow, whether knees above or on the earth or under the earth, they will all bow. And one day we will hear it too. For every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Maybe sometimes you've seen it, those, those pictures of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Muslims in Mecca, around the great black stone in the center of Mecca, all prostrate on the ground. It's quite a scene. But, beloved, it's nothing. There's nothing with comparison with what's going to happen. When every knee everywhere will bow before this Lord. And when all of mankind will be saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. His Lordship will be recognized. And through Him, Paul says, the Father 
gets the final reward. For the Father will be glorified. Beloved, that's where it's all headed. That's where all of these Christmases are headed. That's where you and I are headed. We're moving forward to that day and to that moment. A time of great worship and confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Only, we're not there yet. So what are we going to do in the interim? And once this festive season of 2005 is over, what then? What shall we do between now and the day of great appearing? Well, the answer, beloved, lies in Philippians 2, verse 5. There Paul states, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And as a matter of fact, notice, notice that actually this sentence introduces and it sets the stage for for this great, what has sometimes been called a hymn that we've been speaking about. And in addition, notice as well how verse 5 is closely connected to the verses that come before it, the verses 1 to 4. So what are these verses all about? Well, they're all about the need for believers to adopt a special attitude. Namely one that's filled with love, unity, humility, and service. You see, the Apostle Paul is striving to teach the Philippian Christians how to serve God even better how to be even more devoted than they already are. And on the one hand, as you may know, they have made great progress. This is a letter that's full of joy. This is a letter where where Paul loves to speak about the common partnership they have in the gospel. This is a letter that addresses itself to a church that is warm and, and vibrant and alive and committed. But on the other hand, while there is much to be thankful for, there are also some things that need changing and improving. Take that dispute between Euodia and Sintiche. Take the need to stop complaining. Take the charge to resist, as Paul speaks about, about putting confidence in the flesh. Yes, even in Philippi, there is room for more devotion. And of course, that's something that applies not just to the Philippians. Let's be honest, it applies just as much to all of us Langleyites. We too have much to be thankful for. But at the same time, We also have our challenges when it comes to service and devotion. Are we, in those earlier words of Paul, are we like-minded? And you know that has nothing to do with drab mental uniformity, but rather it describes a living unity centered on the truths of the gospel. 
And do we have the same love? In other words, do we share the same sacrificial love? The kind of love that's not about me and my and myself, but about serving others? And what about being one in spirit and purpose? That is, do we share a common affection and desire and passion and sentiment for living together in harmony? And what about doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? But simply is the agenda of our lives all about how we can get more attention and how we can bolster our little egos? Finally, what about other interests? Whose interests are we serving, promoting, looking out for? Our own? Or those of others? And now before you answer the question, before you answer all these questions, you need to stop and you need to consider. Indeed, you need to stop and you need to consider your Savior. What kind of an example did he set for you? What kind of life did he live and does he still live? What kind of an attitude did he display? You know the answer. You all know the answer. But look at what happens at his birth. He leaves everything behind to become nothing. He left it all behind. To be born in Bethlehem, to work in Palestine, to be crucified outside of Jerusalem. He did it all. And in the process, he left us an example of devotion. Humble, sacrificial, daily Devotion. Realize this deeply. Take it to heart seriously. Adopt the very same attitude in your heart and the very same approach in your life. And if you do, you'll be getting ready in the best possible way for the coming, the sure coming of that great day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, beloved, there is a sense in which Christmas is all about modeling. Modeling the incarnate Christ today. And it's all about preparing properly and eagerly for the exalted Christ 
tomorrow. And so no matter what, the world will never succeed in making Christ go away and disappear because He's coming again. Not this time as a babe, but as the Lord and God of all. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.